over a span of 2,000 years, 40 authors on three different continents and in three different languages penned 66 books, all of which were supernaturally inspired and intricately designed as God's revelation to man. The spoken word of God, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, recorded and bound just for us. Join us on a journey from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, the big book, cover to cover. This is Michael Easley in Context. Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley, and it's a joy, it's a delight to have Jody Capehart on the broadcast today. Let me tell you a little about Jody. She has been an educator and has had a heart for ministry for, well, let's just say more than 45 years. Uh, she's known as the school whisperer. She encourages, equips, and empowers teachers, students, and parents. Jody has founded a number of uh, schools, classical schools, education programs. She was a, basically a school master, a headmaster for 45 years total. She served as a children's minister for eight years at local churches. She's authored 50 books on education and parenting, uh, including international translations. Jody's passionate about family. Her husband has played horn for 43 years with the Dallas Symphony Orchestra. They have three grown kids and five great grand kidlins. <laughs> and she loves family. She loves church, reading, gardening, cooking. And boy, it's great to have you on the broadcast, Jody. Thanks so much for giving us some time. Michael, I am so blessed to be on this program with you. And we do go way back, don't we? And uh, so it's just so wonderful to connect with you again. And Cindy and your children and grandchildren. So it's a wonderful season, isn't it? It is. It is. I, I, you know, growing old is great as far as the, you know, the, the joys of relationships. The bodies are kind of giving us trouble, but, you know, <laughs> hey, can't have it all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we have been teaching uh, Jody through each book of the Bible, we're calling the series uh, The Big Book Cover to Cover. And so on a given Sunday, I am attempting to teach through the whole book of Genesis, Leviticus, and so forth and so on. Uh, we wanted to talk to you about Leviticus. I love the book of Leviticus, but so many of us get there and go, what are we reading? <laughs> All these laws that, quote, no longer apply, close quote. And so you've done some creative work in saying, how do we look at these festivals that God prescribed, mandated? Some of them were supposed to be in perpetuity. And you observe, you know, all these point to Christ. So start unpacking maybe part of your story and journey, how you got into this. And then, and then we'll go to some real practical things on how we look at some of these festivals. All right. That's great. Thank you, Michael. Years ago, when I was minister to children, as you noted, I didn't like the traditional BBS programs, and I'm sorry to the, I apologize now to the publishers, but I just felt like children needed more depth. And so one year we, we put together our own and we did the five main festivals and we learned so much. And I had no trouble recruiting because everybody realized that we were going to learn. And in that process, it brought the festivals alive. We could see how each of them pointed to Christ. So now we're hooked. And the next year, we built the tabernacle. And we built it exactly. Now, fortunately, now, now wait, let me interrupt of... you. 
you're physically building a structure the size of the tabernacle complex? Yes. We followed it. Outside? Because outside. <laughs> Obviously. We, yes, right, right in the foyer. Uh, no, we, we built it outside because we had several acres that were not being used. And so we built the tabernacle. And because we had so many Dallas Theological Seminary professors and students, we had plenty of wisdom. And we had several Jewish scholars, and all of them made sure that we did everything absolutely correct. So we were building it, and that really intrigued our Jewish friends in the neighborhood. And so it was such a bridge builder. So then the following year, then we focused on holidays like Purim and Hanukkah and so on. So it was just so meaningful. And that is when I got hooked. And so... I'm a person who loves holidays, but I see a problem in our culture, and that is that we are never focused on now. Uh, Number one, we have our 24-7 because of electronics and so on, but also the commercialism. And as you go into the stores on July 5th, we were immediately, everything was fall. And then in August, when you want to start embracing fall, everything is Halloween. And then in September, everything is Christmas. So it's a little confusing because we're not in the now. And so I think another thing that I love about the festivals is that they are so focused. They are all about God and rest is inherent in it. Family is celebration. And so that is just one of the many reasons why I love Leviticus. But I, I wanted to say something, just a couple of things, because you're right. I think as people are reading through the Bible and they get to Leviticus and then they get through all those chapters and their brain becomes a little weary because some are not relevant to our world and, and it's easy just to check out and think, well, I'm going to go on to the next book of the Bible but they're missing the Jews. But I I wanted to say a couple of things that that really impacted me. And one is that in Leviticus 10, when the sons of Aaron did not follow God's rules, and they, of course, were consumed by fire, but Aaron had peace. And I, I just kept going back to that because I thought about today, and I, I think about the entitlement that parents have, and they want to intercede, now it's gone all the way up to college, uh, where they want to make sure that their child gets everything that they think their child is entitled to. And so I thought, wow, how beautiful to just, Aaron kept his peace. And I would like to encourage parents, keep your peace. God is in control. Your child needs to learn valuable lessons. You do not need to jump in and intercede on their behalf. And then, of course, Leviticus 16, the atonement and the scarlet thread and the blood. And then another is Leviticus 19, the moral and ceremonial laws. Whoa, talk about what is needed in our world today. And I hunger for that. And I think that that's why I say I will be sharing Jesus till he takes me home. But that whole chapter is so antithetical to the world we live in now. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. And then, of course, the feast. It begins that chapter in Leviticus 23 with the Sabbath, which I would like to close with, because I think that one is one that we can incorporate, and it is much needed in our world today. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that now. So the Sabbath, we know that of the Ten Commandments, 
all are implicit or explicitly repeated in the New Testament, except for the law of the Sabbath, because as Jesus said, the Sabbath was a gift. And in the New Testament, we can take rest, and it's not just not going to work on Sunday or not mowing the yard. So elaborate for us some of the insights you saw in Leviticus 23. We have expressions today, um, you know, TGIF, you know, thank God it's Friday and um, football Friday and so on when you have kids in high school. And and Friday has a certain meaning, but let's just go to the Sabbath because in my opinion, let's not get legalistic about, do we have to do it on Friday at dusk or you know, can we do it Sunday and so on? Because it simply means to rest. It is a time to be reflective, to worship, to read. And I would say in today's world, turn off electronics. I think that would make all the difference in the world. If we took a Sabbath from electronics, because we see our kids, I don't have to tell you, look in restaurants, you see a family sitting at a table, everyone's on their own electronics. No one's looking at each other. No one's talking. How was your day? Uh, tell me what you learned today. Uh, tell me tell me how you were blessed. And no, there's none of that. Everybody's absorbed with their electronics. The other thing that bothers me is that you're, you're having a, a good discussion with someone in their phone, buzzes or beeps, and they stop. And they take whatever it is, whether it is a text, an email, a phone call. And that's not the way that we connect with one another. So I think that just taking baby steps and perhaps people aren't ready to go 24 hours, the world could end. Uh, so they may need to take baby steps. How about let's just have it off for the evening? And some families are doing sort of a basket, you know, you put your phone in the basket before you sit down. And I've even heard of restaurants that are doing this now. You put your phone in a little locker when you go into the restaurant. They want you to actually have a conversation. <laughs> I love it. But let's go back to, we're talking to a family. You as a Christian educator, me as a pastor. How do I help that family? What are other ways we would encourage? Another is just to think, what brings you peace? What brings you rest? I think having that meal together, you're talking to one another. And I think just setting that tone. And then that evening, doing something together as a family that you all enjoy. And sometimes you have to be creative when you have children of different ages. So one thing that I did with my kids as they were growing up is one got to select what we did and and also what we ate one week, and then one did the next week and one did the next week and so on. And so that made it a time of sharing. And and if someone didn't enjoy, uh, they couldn't complain because their week was coming up. And so just a a time to be together. And then the next day, just resting, reading. I did show my children how to keep a a praise and prayer journal. And we would look at that. Uh, How is God answering our prayers? And then sometimes they would each go do their own thing. But it would just be quiet. And also a great day to have company and a great day to visit friends and a great day to do something for the poor or a a shut-in in your neighborhood. So they're thinking outside of themselves, what can we do for others? Did you ever have some, and I'm not saying like, you know, super prepared questions, but, you know, we, Cindy and I would ask, and we weren't always the best table parents, but she was really committed that family dinners were 
important when the kids were, uh, you know, at that age. Mm-hmm. And it might be as simple as what was a highlight about today? What was a challenge about today? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? And and then trying to bring in the Christian life. How do you specifically help a family around a table with different ages? Say, right. how are we looking at this through Christ's lens and, and thinking about the, the, the festivals? And why does that matter? I think that's very important. And I think helping our children, when they were little, I would say, okay, let's be detectives. Look and share with our family where you see God at work. So they began to be more aware. And of course, when I love little children because you can make everything into a game and you have instant buy-in. And so being a detective and coming back and sharing, um, but it sets a habit. And I think that's, that's what we want in our children. And they do go through times of, you know, 12, 13 years old, they get a little cynical. And so then I, I would say to them, well, how about if you help the younger or try to help them be leaders by using their gifts, but talking to them in private first and say, at dinner tonight, I would like you to lead by sharing. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. And so I try to find ways to motivate them and so on. I think the more that you empower them, between that age when they get a little bit of cynicism, uh, the more that you can get through that season. And then you establish them as leaders as well. But yes, I agree. I like those questions that Cindy had and very similar to questions that I had as well. And just not pushing, not just, you know, beating the drum. Hey, you know, you've got to answer. Because I think the more that you keep it spontaneous and perhaps if no one's coming up with something you can share, something in your day, and then that serves as a catalyst for your children to think of something in their day. That's really helpful, Jody. Anything else about Sabbath? I I realized in all of this research on the Sabbath and reflecting on it, and, and I realized I felt very convicted that I have held up work as an idol, if you will. I took pride in how hard I worked. And, and so I felt very convicted as going through all of this with Leviticus, God is constantly saying, rest, rest. At the end of each festival, rest, rest. And rest is important to God. And I think that is so convicting for me because I do love to garden. I do love time in the Word. I do love reading. I love writing in my journal. So that comes easily for me, and that is a form of rest. And and. But I also realize that let's just say the last few years, especially, I've been working way too hard. And so I found it interesting that the Lord literally stopped me. Um, I, I was in a car accident and uh, in the hospital, but for months, I literally could only lie flat in the dark room. I could not have anything and I wasn't able to do anything. And I thought, oh, Lord, you're so good because this is a gift. At first, I didn't see it as a gift, but I realized it was a gift from him. And and it's just made me appreciate that whatever boundaries that we can put on this 24-7 world, whatever we can do for our families and for ourselves to to simply stop and abide in him and rest in him. Can you help us define rest a little bit more? 
because it's not just ceasing from being busy and ceasing from activities, right? I mean, it's, right. Not, it's not sitting in the Lazy Boy watching SEC or the Dallas Cowboys or the Washington Redskins or whatever. No. Rest is what? Rest is focusing on God and worship and prayer. A Sabbath rest is one in which we are home. We are reflecting on God, his goodness, the way that he works in our lives. And I think it's um, for little kids, yes, they're not going to stay quiet for a whole day. And that's why I think planning so you do something with your child. I haven't found a child yet that doesn't blossom under focused attention. And just spend time giving them that gift of your presence. And I'll just take my grandchildren. They loved when we made bread, not on the Sabbath, but we made bread for the postman. Then they were always thinking of who we could make bread for. And we would braid it and we would make it very special. And the postman just got tears in his eyes. And the children were just so happy. Or let's make cards. And and I didn't see making cards on the Sabbath as breaking it because it was something that they were doing that was for someone else. And they began to think of more and more people that they could do things for or go visit. And there's just nothing like a child to cheer someone up. And I think in today's culture, because you and I raised our kids, Michael, we didn't have to compete with electronics. It was a whole lot easier. And I think now with my grandchildren, they just know in my house, no electronics. And so it becomes a non-issue. So when we're here, we listen to music, we do big puzzles on the dining room table, and they immediately adjust to no electronics. And they immediately can think of so many things that we can do. But but I think setting that that atmosphere is so important. But I think in today's world, if, if I want to encourage our listening audience, I think it's important we take baby steps. If you have never done this and you say, all right, we're going to incorporate a Sabbath and there will be no electronics and just get all negative about it. I think you're going to lose your kids. So I think just taking baby steps, sharing with them, reading from the Bible about what it's all about. God wants us to rest. God rested. If God rested, it must be very, very important. So what are ways that we can rest in our family and let them start thinking about it? We don't want to get legalistic. We want to just form the habit with our children. Jody, thanks for your time. I know there's a lot of information you want to share with us. And again, we'll have those provided in the show notes where you can get links to some of Jody's materials. So that's our goal here at In Context is helping you apply God's word into your life and the lives of those that you love and minister to. Jody, thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. What an honor and a blessing. Thank you so much. Michael Easley in Context is fully funded from donations by our listeners. If you're a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation on our website? You can find us on michaelincontext.com. In Context is engineered by Chad Cates, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho, Chad Cates, and Blair Masters.